We're going to read the Bible now. So if you've got a Bible with you, we'd love you to crack open to John chapter 20. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 29. Let's read. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen laying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to raise from the dead. Then the disciple went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she went, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that he was, it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it they're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with their news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On that evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hands and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. The Thylactos plumetus. That is the name of one of Australia's most deadly animals. Around the size of a, a very large dog or, or a leopard, it's covered in this black and orange blotchy fur. 
And it's a heavy built animal, right? Weighing anywhere up to 120 kilograms with these powerful forearms that it uses for climbing and, and holding on to its prey when it's captured. In fact, its method of hunting is really quite incredible. The Thylarctos plumetus ambushes other animals and at times even humans by dropping down from above out of the treetops onto its unsuspecting victims below. And the scary thing about it is there's not a lot you can do to protect yourself from its attack. Although some people swear that placing forks in your hair or having Vegemite or toothpaste spread behind your ears or in your armpits can deter this predator from attacking. Sound unbelievable? Well, that's because it is. You see, the Thylarctos plumetus is more commonly known by its colloquial name, the drop bear. And the drop bear is a, a made up animal. It, it doesn't really exist. The drop bear is an urban legend, a myth, a hoax made up by Aussies as this kind of sick practical joke meant to frighten and confuse poor unsuspecting tourists. But you can't really blame them for believing it, right? I mean, for starters, Australia has a lot of dangerous animals that do attack and can kill people. Snakes, spiders, dingoes, sharks, even these things called a box jellyfish, which is the most unthreatening name in the world, a jellyfish. If it stings you and you don't get treatment, you can die. When you think about that, the, the idea of a bear that attacks you from above doesn't seem so preposterous or unbelievable, right? Especially when it feels like everyone in Australia is in on this great act. On the official Australian Museum website and the official Australian Geographic website, which are both legitimate organisations, you can find articles which talk about the drop bear. And they read like they're genuine. They read like this is a real thing. It's kind of a great story, isn't it? And you can see why people might actually fall for it. But as good as it sounds, the whole thing is just made up. There's not one shred of evidence that drop bears really do exist. And funnily enough, I think that's how most people or many people think about the resurrection of Jesus today. This great claim of Christianity that 2,000 years ago, three days after Jesus died and was buried, he was physically raised up to life again from the grave. He came back to life again. Now, if you're new to Christianity, this might be the first time you've heard that this is something Christians believe in. But if you've been around church and you know some of Jesus' story, there's a good chance you've heard of this idea before. Because for Christians, Jesus' resurrection is an absolutely central and core part of our faith. I mean, we set aside this whole day today in our calendar each year to stop and reflect and celebrate its significance. And yet doesn't the idea of Jesus' resurrection feel a lot like another drop bear story? A, a cool idea, right? Kind of funny, but but there's no real evidence to back it up. Because people don't just come back from the dead and they certainly don't come back to, from the dead to immortality, to eternal life, never to ever die again. That just seems like unreasonable, you know? Illogical. In fact, a little bit foolish to believe that somebody could ever do that. 
In fact, the resurrection seems so preposterous that sometimes even Christians will try and make up other ways to understand what happened. Perhaps Jesus' resurrection was just meant to be understood metaphorically, or perhaps he wasn't made physically alive again. He, he just lived on his spirit, in his spirit, or, or something like that. Over the past five weeks here at Hunter Bible Church, we've been running a series in which we've asked you to reconsider the claims of Christianity with us. What is it that Jesus has to offer? And, and, and does that make sense? Is there any evidence that it's actually true? Today, what I want us to do is reconsider the idea of Jesus' resurrection. That as unbelievable as it might first sound, it's not unreasonable to believe it really happened. And it's actually really important that it did. Because you see, as extraordinary and fanciful as Jesus' resurrection sounds, there's actually good reason to believe it took place. Now, I can't take you back to the moment that it happened 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world. I don't have one of those back to the future style DeLorean time machines. If I did, I'd take you there. I'd take you to the moment where it's claimed Jesus got up and walked out of the grave and we can work out if it was true or not together. But what I can do is help you examine the evidence that we do have about this event. Because over the last 2,000 years, there's been loads of attempts to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. But funnily enough, when you look at the historical records and the evidence we have, it's kind of hard to make any of those arguments stick. So, for example, one of the common arguments against the resurrection is that Jesus actually didn't die on the cross which is what a lot of Muslims believe about Jesus, that it wasn't Jesus on the cross. It was just a guy who looked a lot like him. Or maybe, you know, it, it actually was Jesus, but he didn't die. He just looked dead and managed to get up and recover and walk out of the grave. But the hard part about that for starters is that Jesus wasn't just some random nobody. In fact, he was a pretty well-known public figure in the time that he lived. He, he preached to crowds of thousands and had hundreds of followers who he shared his life with, some of whom were with him and his family and his friends when he was dying on the cross. So in John's account of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus has a conversation from the cross with his mother as he's dying. And his auntie and, and one of his closest disciples named John too. It kind of feels more unlikely at this point that it was, sorry, it feels more likely at this point that it was actually Jesus who was on that cross than some imposter who just happened to look like him. And secondly, the guys who killed Jesus, you've got to remember these were Roman centurions. They were trained to kill people through this horrific process of crucifixion. In John's account of the death of Jesus, we actually read that to double check Jesus was really dead, the Roman guards stabbed him in the side with a spear. Again, it seems like a greater leap of faith here to believe that having been beaten and flogged and nailed to a cross by Roman centurions who then proceeded to stab him with a spear and then bury him in a tomb, rolling a large stone across the entrance it seems like a greater leap of faith to believe that all of that having happened, Jesus 
was somehow not really dead. And in fact, had enough strength to recover in the space of three days, get up and push the stone away. So some people have then suggested that perhaps the disciples just went to the wrong tomb. You know, it really was Jesus on the cross and he really did die. But when the disciples went to visit the tomb, they just went to the wrong place and found it was empty and assumed that Jesus must have been alive. And apart from the fact that the disciples claimed that they didn't just see an empty tomb, they saw Jesus physically alive before them. It's also helpful to note that Jesus' burial site wasn't some secret or hidden place. A little bit later on in John's gospel, in chapter 19, verse 38, we read that Jesus' body was taken and buried by a prominent man named Joseph of Arimathea, who asked Pilate for the body so that he could bury it. They even named where it was, near the place that Jesus was crucified. And in Matthew's account, he mentions that Roman guards were stationed at the tomb to protect against the threat of Jesus' body being stolen. You see, the the place where Jesus was buried was not secret or, or hidden. And if Jesus wasn't risen, but the disciples just went to the wrong tomb, then why didn't the Jewish and Roman officials just produce Jesus' body and squash all the rumors? In fact, that really helps us as we think about a third common argument against the resurrection of Jesus, which is that Jesus really did die and his tomb was empty, but that's because the body was stolen. Maybe some grave robbers or the disciples came in the middle of the night and they took the body of Jesus away. But then how would they have gotten past these Roman guards? overpower the soldiers and try sneak past them to roll away the stone and carry the body of Jesus out of the tomb? It seems pretty unlikely that they'd be able to do that, right? And it certainly doesn't make sense of why they were so willing to die for claiming that they had seen Jesus risen. See, one of the really weird things about the disciples is, is they, they end up being persecuted and killed for preaching that Jesus was risen. So in Acts chapter 7, one of Jesus' disciples named Stephen is dragged out of the city and stoned to death for claiming that Jesus, who was crucified, was now alive. Now, why would they be willing to do that if they'd just stolen the body and knew Jesus was truthfully still dead? What did they have to gain from that? All they did was suffer and lose their lives which helps us to think about the fourth and final common argument against the resurrection, which is that the disciples just made the whole thing up. And that's what I believed for a long time in my life. And one of the incredible things to read about is is how much the disciples of Jesus' lives radically changed. Before they were transformed from being these kind of weak cowards who denied Jesus before his death and resurrection, and abandon him when he's arrested and put on trial to these brave and courageous defenders of Jesus, willing to give up everything, risk their lives, even die for what they claim to have seen. Now, what else would explain that kind of transformation except that the disciples genuinely believed they'd seen the resurrected Jesus? They genuinely believed they'd touched him, spoken with him, and even eaten with him too. 
Now, there's so much more we could unpack with regards to this, right? And for the past 2,000 years, people in both camps have been arguing for and against the resurrection. I'm not denying that it's an incredible claim. I'm just saying that it's not as ludicrous as people often might think it is. Especially when you factor in the resurrection of Jesus was also predicted long before it ever happened. The resurrection of Jesus, it it didn't just come out of the blue, right, or out of thin air. It, It caught the disciples off guard. I don't think they were quite expecting it, but it was promised, prophesied, and foretold by God long before it ever occurred. One of the really amazing and unique things about the God of the Bible is that he chooses to reveal himself and make himself known partly by making these promises in Scripture about what will one day happen in the future that we then see fulfilled time and time and time again. And this is true of Jesus and his resurrection. All throughout the Bible, God gives us these these little predictions, these little promises that one day there is this figure who will come, whose life will endure beyond death, who will rise and be made alive once again. So, for example, in Psalm 16, which was written by King David some 1,000 years before Jesus lived, we read, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Or in Isaiah, written 600 years before the time of Jesus, Isaiah speaks of a figure who is to come in the future. And he says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Even Jesus himself, in places like Mark 8, before he's arrested and crucified, tells his disciples that three days after that happens, he will be raised to life again. Now that alone should make us pause and reconsider this idea of Jesus' resurrection, right? Because it's one thing to show that the most logical conclusion based on the evidence that we have points to the obvious, albeit amazing reality that Jesus really did rise from the grave. But it's another thing entirely to consider that in light of the fact that God predicted, that God prophesied, and that God promised it would happen. See, the the resurrection is ordinary, is amazing. It is out of the ordinary. And it's natural to be a little bit skeptical about that, but, but it's not irrational. It's not impossible, and it's not unreasonable to believe that it happened. It's certainly not just another ludicrous drop bear story that that comes out of thin air without any shred of evidence. No, it's reasonable to believe in the idea of Jesus' resurrection because God promised it would happen and the best evidence we have points to that conclusion that it did. Which is actually a really wonderful thing. 
when you understand why it is the resurrection matters, why it is God planned and promised it, and why Jesus' disciples proclaimed it even at the cost of their own lives, why as Christians we love to celebrate it all the time, but especially on a day like today. It's because everything we've looked at over the past five weeks of this Reconsidering Christianity series, every claim of Jesus and what he has to offer hinges on him being truly raised to life from the dead. It hinges on the resurrected Jesus. I mean, for starters, the resurrection validates who Jesus claims to be, right? See, Jesus, he claims that he's not just another ordinary man, that he's actually the Lord and the King of the universe, that he's God come to earth to reveal who he is and what he's like. That he is the great Lord and God who was promised in passages like Isaiah and Psalm that we read before. And all throughout the Gospels, Jesus had been slowly revealing who he truly was to his disciples, but it wasn't until his resurrection that the disciples fully understood and believe this. On that first Easter Sunday, 2,000 years ago, on the other side of the world, when one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, saw Jesus, spoke Jesus, spoke with Jesus, touched the physically resurrected and living Jesus, it led him to cry out in worship, my Lord and my God. It's the resurrection of Jesus that leads him to finally declare that, to understand that fully. Because no mere human can come back from the dead. The best we can muster is temporary resuscitations, nothing like the eternal physical resurrection of Jesus. It shows us that Jesus is not just another ordinary man. He is the Lord, the King, the the God of the universe. That means that in the resurrection of Jesus, all the, re- all the kind of guessing games about who God is can stop. You can know the Lord. You can know the God of the universe. And all the answers to the big questions of life that we have, like, like why are we here and who are we truly and what happens when we die and does my life have any purpose? You can know that because of the resurrection, because it confirms who Jesus claims to be, the Lord and God of the entire universe. And it also confirms what he claimed to do. If you were here on Good Friday, hopefully you'd remember how we unpacked how Jesus' death deals with our great problem of sin. And if you missed that talk, you can find it on our Hunter Bible Church website. It's definitely worth going back and listening to that because it helps us understand the whole purpose of the cross how Jesus had to die to pay for sins, to restore our relationship with God, to rescue us from judgment and condemnation and eternity in hell by suffering God's judgment on our behalf in our place for our sins. And in Jesus' resurrection, what he shows us is that that actually worked, that it was actually true, that his death really does conquer our great problem of sin because he overcomes sin's greatest consequence of death. The consequence of sin is death, and it is defeated by Jesus in his resurrection. That's why the the risen Jesus in Luke 24, he says to his disciples, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, 
and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus can say that, right? He, he can send out his disciples to preach a message of forgiveness for sins for anyone who repents and turns back to God only because he has conquered death and dealt with sin. And it's the resurrection that shows that he actually has done that. He's overcome the grave and he's dealt with sin. Which also proves that Jesus can deliver on his promise of life that he claims to offer to all who believe in him. The everlasting life, life beyond the grave with God our maker for eternity. See, the resurrection is actually proof that if we trust in Jesus, death is no longer our end point. In John 5, Jesus says these incredibly powerful and comforting words. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. You see, the resurrection matters because it means that eternal life with God is possible in a world made new where there'll be no more death, no more suffering, no more crying, mourning, weeping or pain in a time when God will make all things good and right again. And that's not a pipe dream, but a wonderful reality because Jesus has gone before us. He has shown he's more powerful than death, that he can give life, eternal life beyond the grave to all who believe in him. You see, the resurrection of Jesus, if it's true, then it's actually the most wonderful news in the world because it confirms that Jesus is Lord and God. It proves he really does deal with sin and it gives us the sure and certain hope of life with God beyond the grave in a world made new for eternity. And that's why the resurrection really matters. It's why as Christians, we're here celebrating it today. I mean, we, we celebrate this every day, right? But today of all days, Easter Sunday, we get time and space to pause and reflect on the wonderful reality of Jesus' resurrection and everything that means for you and me. And so if you are a Christian and you're watching along here, if you believe in Jesus, what I want you to do today is It's just celebrate this. Thank God, rejoice in Jesus, delight in his resurrection and everything that means for you. But if you're here and you're not sure what you think about Jesus, let me lay out a little challenge. I'm so glad that you're tuning in and and I'm not sure why you've decided to do that, but good on you for being bold enough to take a risk and listen to this. If you're not a Christian, can I challenge you then to actually take the time to go a little bit further than that? Take the time to investigate Jesus and his claims properly. Because at the very least, what we've looked at today makes Jesus worth investigating, right? 
And in a couple of weeks now, we're about to kick off this thing we run called the Life Series, where for one night a week, over five weeks, we dig into the claims of Christianity and assess whether or not it's actually true. Super relaxed, you'll hear a short talk and get a chance to ask questions, work out for yourself what you really think about Jesus. And I want to invite you to take the leap and come along to that. Work out what you actually think about Jesus and this whole idea, or, or whole idea of his resurrection. And you can find all the details and sign up for that on our website. But if you can't make the dates and times that it's running, still let us know and we'll find a way to run through this stuff with you. Because the resurrection of Jesus isn't just another drop bear story. The evidence we have seems to support that it really did actually happen just as God promised and said it would. And if it happened, then it really matters. It's the most life-changing, eternity-shaping, wonderful, joyful news in the world. At the very least, that makes Jesus worth reconsidering. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and the chance to stop and reflect on this idea of the resurrection. And Lord, we admit that we do find this at times really hard to believe because people don't just come back from the dead every day. It does feel a little bit like a myth, like a made up, like a hoax, like an untrue story. And yet we thank you that as we look at the evidence we have, it does seem to support that Jesus' resurrection really happened, that it does point to the logical conclusion that he really is alive today. And Father, we thank you that this is not just some crazy left out of the blue idea, but it's something that you promised and said would happen. And Father, we thank you for what that means for us who are Christians, that it means we can know God that it means we can know our sins are forgiven and it means we can have a sure and steadfast hope of eternal life with you beyond the grave. Father, we pray for those of us here who are maybe checking out Christianity and not sure what we think yet. Please give us courage to actually take the time to investigate it, to work out whether or not this is true. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.